go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. That's going to be where our lesson is for today. If uh, you'd be so kind as to push the Apple TV button in the back, that would be most delightful. I would appreciate that. Today we are talking about marriage, and this is uh, part three on our series. And just so you know, some of the content and some of the slides even that I'm going to cover are things that I've been covering since about 2012, right? I've been the youth pastor since 2007. I think it was maybe 2012. We went through the book of Hebrews, and in Hebrews 13:4, it says the marriage bed is not to be defiled, but marriage is to be held in high honor. And so some of those slides I developed back then, and I've been kind of repeating the same things about dating and about marriage. But for you, things kind of happen in a cycle. Um, I don't like to force topics when they're not appropriate. I like to pick books of the Bible and teach through them verse by verse and chapter by chapter. And one of the joys and one of the reasons I wanted to go to Ephesians is it addressed marriage. And I knew we could take some time and we can talk about marriage and we can talk about dating. And I really do feel the more that I can teach you the word, the more that these other men can teach you the word, that you can read it for yourself and understand it, and then the content will last for longer. For some of you, you're, you're so happy right now. You're like, marriage, let's go. I could talk about this every Sunday and every Wednesday. And others are like, ooh, yuck, marriage. Girls have cooties. And you are just ready for this to be over. But this lesson is meant to recap what we have been learning. But then I also want to take some time to give you some helpful tips and guidelines and I want it, as Wabi would say, to go on record so parents can go back and they can listen as well. And they can help you make decisions and choices in these key areas. In the book of Ephesians, we are in the section that is practicing obedience to the Lord in our relationships. We've already looked at practicing unity. All right, We've looked at practicing holiness. But now specifically, the book takes a turn and it starts talking about relationships and how we should be practicing obedience to the Lord in our relationships. And I, I loved it how Eric started out last week. Uh, he was talking about the secret recipe of Kentucky Fried Chicken. And for some of you, you might not have ever been to a KFC. All right now it's the most awesome thing ever. It's a KFC and a Taco Bell in one. And it's like, give me a burrito and a chicken wing. All right, this is awesome, okay? My dad and I, every Sunday, we either went after church, we went to KFC, or we went to Grandy's. And Grandy's is no longer in business, but it was high quality, my friends. And he talked about how if you inherited that recipe, but you took it and changed it, how foolish that would be, because it's already making millions. You see, God has already told us what to do and how to do it. But man looks at that and goes, nah, I've got another plan. And then what happens? <laughs> Disaster. Disaster. Oh, marriage is so hard and it's so terrible. And oh, this and it's archaic and all of these things. Well, you're not following. The, the one who created marriage has told you how to do it. You think you might want to ask him. You think you might want to do what he says, but some of you already are doing your own thing, and it's not going to work out well for you. These relationships, we see that wives are to submit to their husbands. Husbands, you are to love your wives. 
your favorite. Children, you are to obey your parents. And slaves, you are to obey your masters. And by obeying God in these relationships, we bring glory to him and we further his kingdom. We further his kingdom. Looking specifically at the first few verses of chapter 5, verse 22, follow along with me. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. Now, I won't cover all of this. You can go back and listen to, to Wabi's lesson that he did. It's recorded. But I asked this question, why are wives specifically called to submit? Why are they not called to love? And in the same way, when it comes to husbands, love your wives. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body. Why are husbands specifically called to love? We already saw here in verse 21, it says, be subject to one another. So in one sense, there's always a, a mutual submission amongst believers where they're considering the other one is more important than themselves. You're laying aside what you want for what someone else wants. But the wives in the marriage re relationship are specifically to place or to rank under the husband in the roles that they have been given. That's what that word submit means. But why are women called to do that and husbands called to love? <clears throat> have you ever done a, a group project for school? I could not stand group projects, right? Because one of two things were going to happen. I would have no control and some other slub was ultimately in charge of my grade or I would have to do everything. All right, and most of the time I would end up trying to do everything. But in that group project, you might not like it, especially those of you who are a little bit control freaks, because there's typically one person that's the main spokesman or the main person that has to make the decision. Well, if that's you, you're in charge. Some of you are like, no, 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 I don't want that responsibility. I don't want that on me. Well, husband, you are the head of the wife. And for some of you men, you don't want to be men. No, 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 don't make me responsible. I'm just going to do my thing. I, I don't want that. But the person that's in charge has other people that rank under them, right? And what are the temptations? If you're the one here, sometimes you're like, well, I, I should have been in charge. And you subvert them and you nitpick and you undo what they're trying to do. Are you loving them? No. Sometimes when you're in charge, it's, ho, 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 you do all the reading, you do all this, you do this, and I'm going to sit back and relax. <laughs> we abuse that power that's there. So the husband in the role of marriage is the head. As the head, we are tempted to control. We are tempted to, to shuck that responsibility. We are tempted to be domineering. So we must love. That person that you're leading you must love them as you love yourself. 
That's it. And if you're being led, you have to let them do it. You, you can't just nitpick, all right? You can't sit back and say, well, you did this and you decided that. And, oh, if I had been the... Hmm. You have to place under like a general and a soldier is kind of the picture that's there so that you're on the, the same team with it, all right? You're both called to love each other, obviously, okay? You're both called to defer to one another, obviously. But these are the specific roles that are here. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The world looks at this as like archaic and dumb and all that stuff. That's because the world is archaic and dumb. Okay, the wisdom of the world will get you nothing. So don't think like the world. Don't think like the world. But why is marriage so important? Why did God create this sacred institution? Okay, for marriage, marriage is a foundation for sexual purity. And I want you to go to Genesis real quick. And we're going to walk through a few things. We need to understand how God has made us and what he has made us for. If you're an unbeliever, okay, that doesn't change the fact that God created you to serve him. He created you to bring him glory. He created you to submit to his lordship and walk in obedience. And if you're going to kick against those goads, if you're going to fight against the one who created you, then you're not going to have happiness. You're not going to have peace. But you need to repent and submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, and then you'll have harmony with the one who created you for the purposes he created you for. Well, he also created us, Genesis 1, God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. He created Adam and Eve to have children and their children to have children and children and children and children. Verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. I want you to go to Genesis 8. Obviously, this is Noah. 8.1. It says, remember Noah, all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him and God caused the wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. What happens in verse 7? He sent out a, a raven. And all of these things. In verse 18, Noah went out and his sons and his wives and his wives with them. Chapter 9, verse 1. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. He created man to glorify him. And he created us to fill the earth, to procreate. Look at Genesis 35. If you're like, well, that was just Adam and Eve. That was Noah. There wasn't anyone else around. God also said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. That's, what it's, that, that's part of who we are and that, that's part of what we do, all right? So we already know there's a part of us that is made for procreation. There's a part of us that is God has given us the gift of sex in the context of marriage. But what does man do? Man corrupts that, right? And man says, look, you don't really know who to marry until you sleep with them. Because that's who you're stuck with. Or you might as well go ahead and sleep around with as many people as possible because one day you only get one person. And that's the wisdom of the world. And the wisdom of the world is gross and it is corrupt and it will destroy. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And that's not why our chairs are spread out the way they are. Okay, it's a different context. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife. 
and each woman is to have her own husband. Look, we have been made for this. It's part of who we are. One of the things that you'll, you're going to struggle with as a teenager, all right, it's harder and harder to obey your parents. Well, why? Selfishness creeps up. But he hasn't made us to be grown adults still living with our parents. That's not how he makes us. He makes us to want to grow up and to get our own job and to get our own. That's just how he made us. So we need to understand that while we're still honoring and obeying our parents, that God made me a certain way, and I have to take that into account. It's not an excuse to sin, all right? God has made you to one day, Lord willing, grow up, get married, and to have sex, but you want that now. The, the hormones in your body, you want that now. So people are getting married and married later on in life. Well, why is that? Well, one of the things, the burdens of finances, the expectations of academics, all those things. But you also have all of this pornography. And so you have this sexual gratification that they can get now without marriage. There's a, this corruption from man that goes on. But some of you are thinking, man, I just want to get married so then I can have sex. Well, that's the wrong motive for these things. It's the wrong motive for all of this, but you do need to understand marriage is a foundation for sexual purity. The decay of the morality of our culture, a lot of it revolves around what? Sexual immorality. Woman and woman, man and man, whatever this guy's called and whatever that thing's called and whatever it is, a corruption. Sleep with as many people as possible. It's just your body. Watch this pornography. Do this. It's gross. But marriage is a foundation for sexual purity. One man, one woman committed to the Lord, committed to each other. Marriage is also a foundation for a life that gives glory to God. It's a foundation for a life that gives glory to God. What do I mean by that? If you get marriage right, you get companionship and encouragement in the race. You know that you have been called to run the race that is set before you, right? Hebrews 12, fixing our eyes on Jesus, laying aside every encumbrance, running the race. Look, if you have a helpmate, guys, who loves Jesus and loves you and builds you up and encourages you and is a great sounding board, oh man, it's not good for man to be what? Alone. So God made a helpmate. Young women, if you get a husband that loves Jesus and therefore loves you and is going to leave, oh, the beauty of it. The beauty of it to have someone. We get lonely, right? God has made us for people. They have that companionship, that encouragement. Someone else who's reading the Bible and someone else is, you know, you ever tried that thing with a, hey, be my accountability buddy and ask me about this. But you never see them or they forget or you ignore their text, you're living in the house with someone. And it's not that you're each other's Holy Spirit nagging and bickering and nitpicking, but you're both doing this together. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. It's beautiful. All right, Martin Luther says there's no more lovely, friendly, and charming relationship, communion, or company than a good marriage. Than a good marriage. Two people that love God and love each other. But you also get... Proper training for the next generation. We don't have time, but we could go back to, to Deuteronomy and we could look at how the Israelites were supposed to 
to raise their children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That same thing is true here, okay? So think for a moment, guys, who you value. If all you're looking for is the most beautiful person you can find to marry you, I want you to keep in mind that woman is spending the majority of the time with your children. So if you marry someone that doesn't love the Lord, what are they teaching them all day? Not to love the Lord, not to care for the Lord. Young ladies, if you're valuing the guy that's got the money and the guy that, you know, all of those things that, that we should not be valuing, that's the one who doesn't care if you go to church or not. Or that's the one telling you you can't go to a good church. And you're wrestling with sub submitting to him because we know in 1 Peter 3 we're still submitting, all right? But it's the same thing as the government. If they prohibit you from doing something that God commands, you follow God. If he tells you to do something that's sinful, you don't do that sinful thing. It's the same type of thing. But proper training for the next generation. But the, the last part of our time, this ties into Ephesians 5, is a model of Christ in the church for the world to see. If you love Jesus, and you do dating, courtship, whatever you want to call it, one day marriage, the way that God wants you to do it. The world's going to look at you and go, whoa. Whoa. Why would you do that? Why would you be like this? Why would you? And it is a witness and a testimony to the world. Modeling that relationship of Christ and the church. I want to look at the last few verses that I haven't read already. When it says the mystery in verse 32, this mystery is great. Well, why is it great? All right, why is it great? The mystery here he's talking about in context, there's different times the mystery is the gospel. The mystery here is God's plan, the God's, God's plan specifically with marriage. It says, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So throughout Ephesians, he's revealing more and more of his eternal purpose, his eternal plan. Remember, there were Jews and Gentiles, but now they're brought one in Christ and all of that. Okay, an aspect and a part of this is the church and the, the headship of Christ and how it's represented in marriage. Okay, he goes on to say, nevertheless... Each individual among you is also to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife is to respect her husband, uh, must see to it that she respects her husband. So he didn't just like jump off on some weird tangent and then come back. He's tying marriage into this concept, all right? And then he's summarizing and he's reiterating. If you fell asleep during Wabi's lesson, which I know you didn't, okay? If you skipped Eric's lesson, which I hope you didn't, here it is. Husband, love your wife. Wife, respect your husband. That word respect in the Greek looks like this. And I know you might not speak Greek. I know I surely can't pronounce Greek. All right? But the first word, it sounds like an F. Phobio. Which sounds like what? Fear, right? That's the word. But think of it this way. It's not that you are to fear him. And some men have seen this the wrong way. 
to be this dominating control person that you will fear me, all right? The word also means to have a profound measure of respect for. And we see it in Acts 13, 16. Paul stood up, motioning his hand, Men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. For those of you that respect God, for those of you that submit to God, listen up. I'm going to tell you what God says. And so this is what we're looking at. And I know what you're thinking right now. You're saying, but Justin, I'm not married. I, I know you're not married, okay? Unless you snuck off and you didn't tell me. The rest of the time, I want to use this passage as a foundation and to talk through some things that directly apply to you, all right? I do not know very many people that have the gift of singleness, except for my daughter Tatum, okay? I don't know very many people that have the gift of singleness. I can think of Ernie Black, who's one of our missionaries. He has lived an incredibly happy and fulfilling life, giving of himself constantly. And the fact that he's not married has allowed him, you need help, poof, I'm here. You need this, I got resources. Boom, boom, boom. He is very selfless. And that's the way to live that life. And if you're wrestling with if this is you or not, most likely it's not you. It's not you. It, it could be, but this would be something that, you know, Ernie, he wanted it. God placed it on his heart, and he, he wanted it. He wanted that flexibility, and, and he wanted that servant, and, and all of those, he, he wanted it. So it's not like I didn't find anybody, so I must have the gift of singleness. It's not how it works. We're going to go under the assumption that one day, Lord willing, you are going to get married and that currently you want to get married. And I know for some of you, you really want it. And for some of you, you're like, well, I guess I have to one day. And if you're yearning and burning for this, are there some pitfalls that come with it? Any dude that talks to you, oh, he talked to me. Woo-hoo! Hey, she sent me a text message. She's got to be the one. We have been so indoctrinated by Disney and by entertainment that we think that there's someone that's just in the woods singing a love song and that we wander by and hear the love song and this must be it. And we want it so bad that we blind ourselves to things. And instead of following God and and trusting God, we start, wow, if I squint really hard, I think he owns a Bible. So one hand, some of you, you, you just want it too much right now. And you got you to gotta throttle it back, okay? For some of you, you don't want it enough. And you're at an age, come on people, 15 through 18, all right? I was married at what, uh, calculating, carry the four by the 12. I was married at 22. How many of our youth leaders were married by 22? Decent chunk. The Ragsdales were married like at 19 or something like that, you know? Uh, What I'm saying is it's really not that far. It's not that far off. Others get married later. That's great, okay? But this is something that you don't just look. If I want to be good at basketball, I train in that, right? I don't just wake up one day and say, I want to be good at basketball. Let's go. If you want to be good at marriage, you want to understand and know, you don't just pop up and go, oh, I'm ready now. It's something that you have to prepare for. Prepare for. 
some questions that I want you to consider. And this goes back to, I've been asking the same questions for over a decade to you. And I want you to think through it. What do your parents say? When it comes to some parents, they, they champion the courtship model, some dating, not dating. Some will say, look, you need to wait until you graduate college because then you have the funds and the, now you can start the dating process and all of those things. Some of you, when you were seven, all right, your, your parents already had you matched up with someone and were pushing you out the door. I think the, the first person I proposed to, I was five years old. She said yes. It didn't work out, though. I built us a home. All right, I dug a hole in the side of the yard, and that's where we we're going to live. But, you know, the Lord had different plans and stuff like that. I just want you to think for a moment, okay, because our youth ministry exists to assist parents in equipping and evangelizing the next generation. Ooh, that sounds good. Let's write that down. We're here to help your parents. I'm not here to undermine your parents. Every teenager is different. Your situation is different. Your home life is different. So there are some general principles I'll walk through later, all right? But you need to ask mom and dad, if you're thinking, hey, I'm ready for a relationship. I'm ready to progress towards this. What are you thinking? And if your parents say, ha, 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 good, good try. Well, then you honor and obey. First time with a happy heart. And if you're like, but that's not fair. Well, grow up, support yourself, move out. That's how that relationship works. What do your parents say? What do his or her parents say? Look, there's someone, it's not just like, I'm ready to date, let's go. You, haha. There's someone I'm interested in. But what if their parents don't want them to date? If you pursue that and you push that, what are you? You're a stumbling block to them. And if that really is the one the Lord has for you, you can wait. You can wait. God's sovereign. God's in control. He's in charge. But what do his or her parents say? Secondly, are you walking with the Lord? Look, to love your wife is a high task. To submit to your husband is a high task. To be a father and a mother is a high task. All right? Are you reading your Bible? Are you really going to be able to wash her with the word if you're not even reading yourself? If you're not coming to church consistently, if you're not serving, if you're not walking in the patterns of the world, you know, pornography is another one where people think, look, I can get rid of this if I just get married because then I have that sexual interaction. No, it doesn't work that way. You have to discipline yourself now in those areas. Are you walking with the Lord? If you're not walking with the Lord, you're going to compromise. You're not ready. You're not ready to lead. You're not ready to represent Christ and do those things. Is he or she walking with the Lord? Are they? And this is, this is a challenge. Because on the surface, we all come here and we all sing the songs. And we all go to small groups. And we do all of these things, so everyone looks like the shiny, happy, plastic people, and you can't really read their heart. You know, I knew girls in high school that went to Mexico on our mission trips. 
and they worked on projects and the, to further the gospel and all of those things, but they only did it because they liked a guy. They only did it because they liked a guy. Now, it is true, while you don't have a magnifying glass to put over their heart and to peer into exactly who they are, there are things you can use to help you in this. Okay, how would I possibly know? I'm not saying this is the end-all, be-all, but I think that it's fair to ask them if they've ever turned in a ministry application. A ministry application is where they write out their testimony and they submit it. And if they don't understand the gospel, I don't approve them. If their parents don't affirm them, they don't submit it. Now, I've had people lie to me and trick me on the ministry application. I've had other people actually come to know the Lord while filling out the ministry application. That's pretty cool. And, and this isn't a, an ironclad thing, but you can ask them. Ask them their testimony. Do they understand the truths of the gospel? Do they have a commitment to church? Are they serving anywhere? What do they like with their parents? You can always say, guys... You can see how that young lady will submit to your leadership by her relationship with her father. Young ladies, look at how he treats his mother. And that's a good indication. All right? These aren't ironclad, foolproof things. You actually have to get to know people, but you can't be blinded to make it work. The missionary dating thing, you ever heard of that, right? I'm just going to start dating people and share the gospel while I'm doing it. And they're like, oh, oh yeah, Jesus, yeah, oh, whoa, yeah, I love me some Jesus because you're good looking. You have to really get to know them, all right, over time. Are they walking with the Lord? Look, guys, when you get married, divorce, God hates divorce. And young ladies, if you marry an unbeliever, you still submit to him. Guys, she's still the one raising your children. I would also say, we'll talk about this in a little bit, you can, you can interact and talk with their parents. I've had parents be honest and say, look, she's actually not a believer. So you should not pursue that relationship and things like that. Thirdly, are you consistently cultivating the essentials in your life? Is the person that you're interested doing these things? Are they doing these things? That is what you need for a good marriage. Are you mature enough to create and keep safeguards in your relationship? Are you? Please understand you're still young. And there's a physicality expectation that you can run in too far too fast. Rocky would always say, I never heard someone say, I wish we had done more before marriage. But I often hear them say, I wish that we had not done so much. Look, when you start kissing someone and start doing those things, there's this natural you know, bond that comes from it. And it can blind you to some of the things that are out there. And I, I'm not giving you do's and don'ts and some of those things. Obviously, some of that is very clear and you should run from it. But you shouldn't be alone together. If you're not mature enough to say, look, we shouldn't be in my room alone watching a movie together. That we shouldn't be going out and, and parking somewhere where no one else is type of thing. That it, our one-on-one -on -one interaction should really be in public areas or in the home being monitored and things like that. 
If they don't want those safeguards, there is a reason. And that should be a red flag. They don't want to get the parents involved in the relationship. That's a red flag. You need to create and keep those safeguards. How much time, how late you talk to each other, how often you text, the things you text about. Is the person that you're interested enough, mature enough to create and keep safeguards in your relationship? And I I can't give all of those to you. Again, you need to rely on your parents to think through those things. To help you and to guide you. It's very important. Are you mature enough to have this relationship and not abandon your friends, family, and ministry? This is, this is an age-old question. You finally found that person, and now they're the only person at youth that exists. You sit with them, you talk with them, you interact with them, and your friends are going, what do we, chop liver? You are not married yet. Oh, I can't do this because I have... You don't cut off all your other relationships because of this one, and there are significant consequences that go with that. You still need to be mature enough. And look, if the answer to any of these things on the left are no, then don't even consider dating. Don't consider going down that road. And you're like, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I am. Well, sit down and talk with your parents. And they'll help you with that. And again, look, we're not waiting for, for, for perfection, people. All right, nobody getting married. Some of these things that we talk about, we as leaders, husbands and wives, we still struggle to do these things because we're still sinners. But these should be questions that you ask yourself and you consider. Some follow-up tips and thoughts on the process of dating or courtship or whatever you want to call it, okay? Parents have different preferences, okay? Some would teach kind of the more courtship method that, look, you don't do anything until you found the one that you're ready to marry, okay? Well, that's a lot of pressure on that first date. That's a lot of pressure on that interaction, okay? You, don't, you may not necessarily know that that's the one you want to marry until you spend some more time with them. Because if you're already going into the first date locked into, we're getting married, okay? No, that's called an engagement. You, there has to be that freedom and that maturity to come together and say, you know what, I had a wonderful time, but I just don't think this is us. And, and that's hard, right? Oh, you, you rejected me. There, there's heartache with that, right? So that you graciousness and gentleness and understanding. You know how many high school relationships actually end up in marriage? Not very many. Not very many. Some parents, as I mentioned, they're already, they were ready for you to get married the first day you were born. And some have pushed you too far too fast. And there's that expectation that's there. And it's just weighing over you and, it, and it's a burden. And I would, I would tell those parents to, to take a step back with it. Take a step back with it. There's a, there's a middle ground. There's a, there's a way to, to look at these things. Parents say different things. Okay, sometimes 
what they say might be different for different of their own children. And then it's, oh, but you let this one do this. And like, well, this one was mature enough to handle it. I don't think you're quite there. Well, see, I told you you weren't mature enough. As parents, we don't have all the, I'm, okay, we don't have all the answers. We don't know everything, but we're trying the best that we can to honor the Lord. And you are very, very precious and very special to us. And we want to be very careful and very thoughtful. I don't know if you can say necessarily there's a best approach. Different kids, different parents, different situations that are out there, okay? Different goals with some things. I would encourage parents that are listening, okay? I find it very difficult to believe that the best idea is to wait until college. All right? Now, there are some that might be what they decide. And I will support them 100%. The reason why I say that, okay, you are still in the home right now. And there are some interactions that are going to be very difficult. And if you're in home with mom and dad, and they're there to help you, to encourage you, to pray with you, to intervene when possible, I think that's a blessing. I think that's a blessing. I honestly feel like the generations past would laugh at us for how long we take to get married. But circumstances are different in some of those things. And some of you are going to take this, and you're going to go home and say, Mom, he said it, let's go. Well, who are you going to date? I have no idea, but it is on, all right? And that's the furthest thing that I want for you, okay? Some of you have this stigma of, if I talk to a girl that Justin's going to get mad at me or I'm in sin, all right? You have to talk through these things with your parents. For some of you, you got a lot of business to take care of your own personal walk with the Lord, all right? You got to do that. But some of these situations and scenarios, your parents, if you're going to willingly submit to their guidance and their assistance, that's great, all right? I also do understand when you get married, you actually need money. You need a job. You need a way to support, all right? And for all of you, it's different. For some of you, you might say, look, I don't, I don't want to go to college. I want to go work, and I want to earn, and, you know, that's right. Or your parents, you know, I told my mom when I graduated high school, I was graduating high school, and I said, Mom, I'm going to go sell light bulbs and be an, an XL intern. And she said, here's your application to all those colleges you're going to. And I said, well, look, I'm just going to go to TCC and stay at home. And she said, no, you're not. UNT, nope, you're gone. And it was a good thing for me because, you know, I, I don't like going places. And so I learned a lot when I went to different places and I grew and matured and all of those things. All right. Your parents can really help you with this stuff. And they can come up with what's the best approach. Is it best for you to get locked in with someone as a 15-year-old knowing you're not going to be able to support them until you're 23? There, that's a tough question, isn't it? That's very difficult. And I can't necessarily answer that. I know your parents can. But I just feel that there's part of a process that they can start with you now to work through those things. I do want to encourage you. And remember, these things are not thus saith the Lord. These are some tips and thoughts that I have for you that I want to pass along. Group interaction is great. It's great. Here's a group. 
You're not at this group just to find someone, but you're seeing people, you're interacting, you're, you're talking with people, right? Going out in group settings is a good thing. You know, uh, not that it's about me, but this is how Kim and I got to know each other and got to meet, all right? I finally had enough friends to put together a football team in college for intramurals. Took me a while. And so we would play flag football. And we might have recorded the games so that I could break down the film and the play calling analysis afterwards. All right, pretty standard stuff. And during one of those games, someone panned over to the crowd, and I was like, huh, who's that? She caught my eye. Now, godliness is the most important thing, but no one's going to argue that you can't be attracted to the person, okay? It's like, huh. And so she did something called Navigators in college. And so those are the friends that I found to play football with. And so we interacted and we did stuff. And so I got to know her over a period of time. And I could see this. I could see that she really loved people. The way she treated other people, how kind and how thoughtful she was, that's what made me go, <laughs> yes. Because you know what? Selfishly, I knew that's how she would treat me. And I knew that's how she would treat, Lord willing, our, our future kids. And so there was a, this group interaction where I, I'm getting to know her in this group. But then there was that next step. All right? And so we did. She didn't, she didn't know it was a date, but it was. Her parents came in town for her birthday, but I had to work. And so everyone was going out for her birthday. And uh, I, I found her later and I said, look, I'm so sorry I missed your birthday. Can I make it up to you and we can go eat? And so that way, if it didn't work, I could bail. Um, or she could bail. And she was awesome. And we just had great conversations. But the, the second time we got together at lunch, my car broke down because I had a janky old truck. And she, she wasn't like, what a loser. Your car can't even make it five minutes. She was looking. Those are the things that I was like, look, if, if, I, if you're rolling with me and my truck breaks down and you've got that attitude, man, that just tells me a lot. But we still kept getting to know each other through group settings and stuff like that, which was very helpful. But then there was that one-on-one inter -on -one interaction. But again, we were in college, and so there was a lot of maturity that was going on there. And again, group interaction is a good thing to get to know people. When you're ready, and when you feel the other person are ready, talk to your parents about the next step, if there is a next step. It might be there is no stepping. There is nothing. But I would encourage you this, to be honest with yourself and call it what it is. Are you two guys dating? Oh, no, 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 no. Will you talk all day? Well, yeah. Do you always sit next to each other? Sure. Do you spend multiple days of the week? Well, yeah, but we're, we don't like each other. We're friends. That's just, a, that's just a good way to skirt the reality of what's happening. Okay? Skirt the reality of what's happening. You need to make sure you guard your heart. And you guard the other person's heart. You know, 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2 says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. And it's not a perfect correlation, but guys, you need to consider these ladies out here like they're your younger sister. And in that, look, you, you want to guard their heart. You don't, you don't want to lead them on. It, it's very flattering. To, to text people and have them text you back or to have all these people like you and I can pick who I want. 
but it's not fair. The Lord has one, you'll get married to one young lady. All right, you don't want to go too far in any of these areas, leading someone off in it. You don't want to break hard. You don't want to do that stuff. When you text them individually, they're looking at that, and then they're watching those little bubbles pop up, and the bubbles delete, and the bubbles and the this and the that. And there's a lot of difficulties that go along with social media and, you know, who you're following on Instagram and stuff like that and text messaging. Guard their hearts. When you're ready and they're ready and their parents are ready, other than that, don't lead people astray. But I also want you to guard your own heart. Guard your own heart knowing that a lot of times marriage does, or the, that dating doesn't result in that marriage that's there. There's a process to those things. You need to guard your own heart and all of it, trusting in the Lord, following after God and not yourself. You need to trust in the Lord. One of the most helpful verses that one of my youth leaders, Mr. Chandler, shared with me was Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And he said, look, Justin, the first part of this is you need to be happy. You need to take joy and have commitment or contentment in the Lord, first and foremost. And then when you do that, you will now conform the desires of your heart to what he wants. But in that, he knows that you want to be married one day. And he is not a, a mean, capricious, whimsical God who's going to dangle things and take it away and keep you from that. He's designed you for it. So I know it's cliche. But simply trust him. Trust him. Now, for some guys, they say, yes, trust God. Speaky girl, no. One day girl, magically peer, poof, girl, married. That's not what it's saying. Do things the right way, through the proper channels, with the right understanding. Trusting in the Lord. And the Lord will work those things out. Lastly, I want you to understand that you are still growing, and so is the one that you are interested in. So Tanner is in second grade, and they're playing basketball. And there are certain drills where they're learning how to play basketball. They don't play the same way as Tucker's eighth grade team. Why? Because they're young, and they're new, and they're still developing. All right? For many of you, you just came to know the Lord. Or you've only come to know the Lord in the last six years or so. And we think that, poof, I automatically have the sanctification of an elder. Or you expect the person that you like to have the sanctification of an elder. You're going to say dumb things. There's times that we're going to hurt each other. There's times that we're going to read into something the wrong way. We need to give each other a little bit more leash, a little bit more grace. Don't expect her to already have everything figured out because you don't have everything figured out and vice versa. When I do marriage counseling, I tell them that marriage is very, very simple. Very simple, okay? Here's God. 
And if you simply put off sin and put on righteousness, you're going to what? You're going to grow closer to God. Well, if she does the same thing, she's going to grow closer to God. And if both of you are growing closer to God, you think like Jesus, you act like Jesus. And those, that selfishness melts away and that pride gets thrown to the side and you're able to love. So my encouragement for you, simply serve the Lord. Trust Him. Work on those aspects of your life. Talk with your parents and obey your parents and how they lead and how they guide you. And in all of these things, do not go rogue. Don't go turbo on me here, okay? Do it the way God wants you to do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a good and gracious God. You are loving and kind. And I pray that we would trust you and that we would honor you in all things. I pray for these young men and women that they would first of all love you more than anything. That if there are any that are unbelievers, that they would repent and believe in Jesus. And then, Lord, once they've come to know you, I pray that they would pursue godly relationships in your timing with the supervision and the instruction of their parents who love them and want the best for them. You are a good and gracious God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.